It is all too easy and amazingly common for believers to take the general truth that Jesus was a friend of sinners and allow that to devolve into Jesus ate with sinners. So it's okay if I love a good party. of New Life Community Church and your host here for New Life Telecast. I trust our Heavenly Father will put courage into you as we fellowship together here for the next 28 and a half minutes or so. I'm going to jump right into the teaching as quickly as possible, but let me remind you before I do about the Ask Pasta Tea segment of the program. If you have any questions about the Word of God, something you're wrestling with, then shoot me an email at that address, and I'll t attempt to answer you just as soon as possible. Also, be encouraged to tell your family, your friends about the telecast, and urge them to tune in. We'd love to have them on board. If you don't catch all of a particular program here on BTW, we also post all the segments on our website, NLCC. Alive.com, YouTube, Facebook, check those out as well. If you're viewing online, be sure and subscribe to our channel so you can stay informed about upcoming segments. You can do that by hovering over that little icon down there and the subscribe button will pop up. We'd love to have you be a part of that process as well. Okay, we're going to jump right back into a series that we began last week, one entitled Snatching, Saving, Showing from Jude chapter 1. And uh, let me introduce that to you by asking you this. How many of you know some people, some sinners, that you just nearly have to club, club them over the head with a hammer in order to get them to turn away from their sinful lifestyle. I know people like that. How do you handle people like that? That's part of what we're dealing with in this particular teaching that addresses the subject of doubts, fears, as it regards a sinful lifestyle. A text passage or a text portion I'd like to read for you as we begin to jump into that tonight is... Well, excuse me, it's from Isaiah chapter 55. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse number 7. Listen to what this says. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. You understand? Let them forsake certain things, but let them turn to the Lord. And he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon. That's the word of God. It's right. It's true. I trust that it would speak to our hearts and help us know and understand how we might embrace others toward the end of turning them to Christ, in particular, the doubter. Pray with me. 
Father, I thank you for every man, woman, boy, and girl that's listening to this telecast right now, whether it's live or uh, a replay, a re-air through some social media outlet. I trust that your word, as we send it out over the airwaves, that it would accomplish the purpose for which it's, which it's sent out, and that is the salvation of the soul of every person. I pray for your strong anointing as we teach, and we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, you hang on. I will be back, the Lord willing, here in just a few moments uh, to wrap things up and to tell you a couple more things about new life. God bless. God says this, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I honestly believe there are some people that think every time a wicked person dies, God's like, ha, 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 showed you. That's not God. And, and if somebody talked you into believing that, somebody sold you a lie. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. He says to Israel, turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? This is the same God they served. Uh, my forebears served and we serve today. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. He hasn't changed. This is still true about God. Isaiah gave us this in chapter 55. Let the wicked forsake their ways. Let them do what with their ways? Those wicked ways? Forsake them and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord. What will he do? He will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. Do you know any hardened sinners? Those sinners who have years of experience, I've just given you something to pray over them. Pray this over those hardened sinners and over those who have hard hearts and over those who are hard-headed. Listen to me. How many of you know some people? I know some people who were quote-unquote brought up in church and they are just being hard-headed toward their parents and toward the church and toward God. Say, my mom and daddy made me go to church and I'm gonna go to hell in spite of all of that. Woo! That dude's doing some preaching up in here this morning. Listen to me. Holy Spirit can break that hard-headedness. Let me tell you something. If you had a mom and daddy that took you to church, you ought to thank God Almighty. Even if they didn't live up to it necessarily, you ought to thank God Almighty that you had somebody that cared enough about you and loved you enough to take you to sit under anointed preaching and teaching of the Word of God. By the way, how many parents we have here this morning? Just say, huh. It's all the tired folks here. Take your youngins to worship. Take your youngins to church. One of my youth pastors asked me years ago, they adopted a child and uh, this, you could probably add two and two and figure out who this is, that's not the point. But at some point in time when this is just a little bitty baby, she's half grown now, but this youth pastor says to me, at, at what point should you start disciplining children and at what point do you take children to church? It, here's my theory. Are they breathing? There's a clue. There's your sign. 
Well, I, th- I, I don't know where in the world this has come from. I think that your children ought to be able to make up their own mind. You hypocrite. You mean just like they make up their own mind on Monday morning about going to school? Or where they make up their own mind on Saturday about whether they play soccer or not? Get off of that, Terry. Making somebody mad. That's my job. I feel bad taking your money if you leave here and you ain't about half mad. I'm, I'm kidding. Kidding. I gave you something to pray over those hard-hearted, hard-headed, hardened people. If you get to the back half of Jude 23, I believe Jude offers here not another totally different category of sinner, but rather some invaluable counsel for would-be soul winners. How many would-be soul winners we have here this morning? Say amen. Here's what he says, latter part of verse 23. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. What in the world is he talking about? Fill in number seven with me. The emphasis here is not just the rescue of the sinner. That is emphasized. But it's not just the rescue of the sinner. But also what he is emphasizing is the discernment of and the wisdom of the rescuer. I think I had it. Yes, I had his picture there. The rescuer. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. This clothing reference, listen to me, it's pointing to the undergarment worn by the ancients. Uh, Just to cut to the chase, and I'm about to put before you a very graphic image, but just to, to cut to the chase, who among us cherishes the act of picking up someone else's dirty underwear? And you may be thinking, Pastor Terry, that is disgusting. I'll agree, totally. That's Jude's point. I'm not going to belabor it other than to say there are such sins that are so egregious to God that he likens them to dirty, filthy underwear. Mr. Barclay, in his very fine commentary, says, and I quote, there is danger to the sinner, but there's also danger to the rescuer. He who would cure an infectious disease runs the risk of infection, end quote. Boy, don't we know that in the the climate that we have today. Listen, under the old covenant, sin, everybody say sin, Sin is likened to the horrible infection of leprosy. 
He's trying to make a point with all this talk about leprosy. Certainly, if one contracted the maiming malady, the uncontaminated would pray for their restoration to health, but would cautiously do so from a safe distance according to prescribed protocol. And beloved, the Bible's instructions are with regards to leprosy. They are very tedious and they are very laborious. But according to that protocol, as you reached out to the affected, you would take great precautions to ensure that you did not become the infected. Does that make sense? Headed to number eight on your study notes. There's obviously a tremendous type or foreshadowing here. You see, as we, us, y'all, as we reach out to those affected by the ravages of sin, we need to do so prayerfully and carefully. Okay? I'm going to say that a different way here in just a moment. But let me play on that just a little while. Not a few souls have been deeply blemished. Listen to me, somebody needs to hear this. Not a few souls have been deeply blemished in their attempts to snatch the sinner from the fire. Perhaps there's a very good reason why he uses the image of snatching, because you get in and you get out pretty quick. Mr. Brown, in his commentary, says it like this, quote, as garments of the apostles wrought miracles of good in healing, Jude is actually trying to help us to see here that the very garment of sinners, metaphorically speaking, can bring pollution to those coming into contact with it or with them. That's what he's talking about. In my studies this week, I uncovered another interesting writing on this subject. The author, I am not that familiar with. His name is Kevin DeYoung. And what he had to say, I couldn't think of a better way of saying it, so I'm going to quote him this morning. I want you to listen to a little bit of this. It's embellishing what I just said to you. Quote, It is all too easy and amazingly common for believers to take the general truth that Jesus was a friend of sinners and allow that to devolve into... Jesus ate with sinners. So it's okay if I love a good party. Let me do that again. Jesus ate with sinners. Is that true? So it's okay if I love me a good party. Jesus was more interested in showing love than taking sides. So it's okay if I always side with religious outsiders. Is that true? Listen, using these whole truths about Jesus to justify our half-baked excuses for sin is a far cry from that which Jesus exemplified. How many know I'm telling you the truth? De Young continues, once as a young man in ministry, I made an offhanded comment about how Jesus hung out with drunks. 
I was gently and wisely corrected by an older Christian who had himself overcome alcohol addiction. He challenged me to find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus was just hanging out with people in a state of drunkenness. I'm not sure if it was DeYoung or someone else I was reading after, but these are not unique or original to me, these particular thoughts. It goes like this. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Not because he winked at sin. Not because he ignored sin or enjoyed light-hearted revelry with those engaged in immorality. Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners. Amen? And was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, sorry for their sins, and on their way to putting their faith in him. Now listen, now that end in that little quote. Alike Jesus, our compassion, my compassion, and your compassion needs to come with sensible caution. Fill in number nine with me. I told you I was going to tell you something, the same thing a different way. Here it is. Because you may think, I just heard this. Well, you didn't hear this, but you heard something very similar. It is commendable to snatch the grossly immoral unbelievers from the fires of sin. Say amen right there. But we must be very careful or we too may be drawn into their immorality. Hmm? We might be burned. We might be singed. Someone said even the most faithful saint is not immune to temptations of the flesh. Let me remind you, church, that when we are doing soul winning, we are not offering people us. It's us offering them our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you've been offering them, you stop it. Stop it. You are going to get killed. You're going to get stomped doing that. They're going to make you look like an idiot. Nice theological term. Don't do that. In fact, it takes a lot of the pressure off when you realize you're not offering them you. Can you imagine me offering people this? Uh, you know what you need in your life. I know you have a lot of troubles, a lot of trials. I know your family's all dysfunctional and stuff. What you need is me. Yeah. If you could just like hang out with me, you could be me. <laughs> Or well, it'd be a long line to sign up for that, wouldn't it? I'm not offering them me. I'm offering the one that saved me, Jesus the Christ. Beloved, let me see if I can wrap it up here pretty quickly with this. We live in a culture. Everybody say culture. That's all the people around you. We live in a culture that boasts Something like this. If you want to reach the sinner, then you need to dabble in a little sin yourself. Am I telling you the truth? We live in a culture that would say that to you in so many words. You reach them by sharing the experiences they have engaged. Again, you're offering them yourself. Beloved, that's a lot of nonsense. 
You don't dabble in what they are engrossed in in order to reach them. It's not their experiences that you need to share with them. It's something totally different you need to share with. You've reached them by presenting to them something they have not experienced. And that is life and the righteous one, Jesus the Christ. A pure and power-filled lifestyle of holiness will draw people. That's what draws people. Oh, yeah, Jesus reached out with the message of forgiveness to the most sinful members of society. I could share with you passage after passage that points that out. But he did not participate in their sin. Hebrews chapter 4 makes that very clear to us. Nor did he approve of their sin. Neither did he wink. Oh, yeah, I see what you're doing there. You're all right. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. First Peter chapter four, verse four. I'm not gonna read it, write it on your notes and look it up if it isn't already on your notes. It makes it pretty clear that we born again persons and members of the forever family of God do not enjoin the same flood of wild and destructive things they do. Are you listening to me, church? This is about as popular as a porthole in a submarine nowadays, but it's still the truth. Are you with me? In fact, Peter says it will be thought of as strange. I love this Greek word, zanizo. We'll be thought of as strange because we do not join them. But, beloved, refuse to engage their sin, we must. There's this strange and dangerous and damning theology that's been foisted upon this part of the world and upon a lot of religious people. And it sounds like this. I'll get up today. Y'all know we all sin every day in word, thought, and deed. And I'll live like that today. And before I pillow my head tonight, I'll put my knees on the floor and I'll, or either climb in bed half asleep and say, Lord, forgive me of all those sins I committed today and give me a good night's rest so I can get up tomorrow and do it all over again. God has something better than that garbage for you. It's a lifestyle of holiness. Is that a lifestyle free from any blemish of sin? Certainly not. We do have flesh, but it's a lifestyle of learning to listen to that still, small voice. And when you get ready to do something goofy, he says, don't do that. And you say, Oh, that was Holy Spirit. What I was about to do probably was something that wasn't going to be very pleasing to my Heavenly Father. So you back off, you go another direction. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Pastor, you can't live that way. Yes, you can live that way. I believe God purposed for you to live that way. Listen, the Bible is the most practical words that you will ever read. And I've just shared with you some of the most practical words that you will ever hear. Pray with me. Beloved, that's going to wrap up this particular teaching. And let me wrap up this particular segment by saying this. As time moves on, it's becoming increasingly difficult for those who are aspiring to live out the Word of God to do so in our present 
culture, and I'm talking about the culture of the United States of America, real biblical Christians, followers of Christ, have always been thought of as a little strange as compared to the world and what the world is doing. The world, the darkness, doesn't like the light, and that hasn't changed one little bit. And I believe I'm speaking to someone I have really sensed in my spirit that I'm speaking to someone out there that's really wrestling with this. You are surrounded by so much evil. Perhaps there are some of you listening right now. You're the only one in your family that's trying to live out the lifestyle that is portrayed for us in the Word of God. You genuinely are. And what you see around you is just really hurting, not only hurting your feelings, hurting your heart, really hurting your spirit as you strive to walk in the light and walk after the things of God. I want to encourage you. It's worth it. It is worth it. My life's verse has been Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where we're told, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, which is outlined right here in His Word. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. The other things are those things that precede verse 33 in Matthew 6. It's the cares of life, and that entails every area of our life, not only our physical needs, our financial needs, our emotional needs, spiritual needs, but uh, those relational needs, God will, I believe, in, in fact, I have experienced where I've had to back away from certain relations or relationships in order to give God an opportunity to work in my own life and then bring new and different and better relations and relationships into connection with myself. That which is true for me can be and will be true for you. I want to encourage you, and I know with all the shutdowns and the scares and the, uh, the political side of the COVID-19 virus, people just moved away from one another. And one of the areas where this is glaringly so is with the church. Now listen to me. We need to be safe. I want you to hear me saying that, and I've attempted to do that. And uh, if we need to uh, stay out of people's grill, so to speak, uh, in order to uh, prevent us from getting either COVID or any other thing. I don't want a 24-hour stomach bug. Can I get an amen right there? Uh, if you need to back away, but let me encourage you not to back away so far that you fail to connect with the body of Christ. And these corporate worship times, they are still very, very important. God knew all this was going to happen when He uh, instructed us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He knew that, and there's wise and smart ways to do that, and I want to encourage you too, as opposed to being like a coal in a fire that's just kind of laid outside. Pretty soon the fire goes out and it cools off, and it's just nothing, just a piece of old dead charcoal. You don't want that. So I want to encourage you to connect with the body of Christ. New Life does have in-person gatherings Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. We also have midweek activities Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock. Uh, if you do not have a home church or perhaps your, uh, your worship, your fellowship has been uh, postponed or set aside for the time being, we would love to have you come join us. I'm not trying to take you away from somewhere else, but I would love to build you up and send you back there to make a huge difference in your little corner of the world. That's really what we're all about. That's what New Life Telecast is all about. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each one that's listened in, and I pray that your word would strengthen and encourage each one. I pray specifically 
for that believer that is a bit discouraged because they've been away from the other believers, the, the in-person worship celebration, and they're just dragging right now. I pray that you would put courage into such one and put courage into them to find a place of worship, to get together with God's people and to grow thereby. We pray, we ask in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, you be encouraged. Have a great week. I am Terry Knight, and a pastor here at New Life Community Church. And I want to remind you, my friends, Jesus is coming back. Is He coming back for you?